Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. We are, as I guess I would call this, episode two of the Knowles 24-7 X's and Knowles um, position previews as we are getting ever so closer I believe next Thursday is the day. Uh, that's what's making its way out there in the verse. Next Thursday may be the first official day of practice. August so probably, 3rd. August 3rd. 3rd. Yeah. 3rd. yeah. There we go. So we, we have a media day on August 2nd with coaches, of head coach and assistants. And then they hit the field on August 3rd. I actually wrote a story you can find on the site today that has all the information of the entire practice go. schedule between now and basically the Southern Miss game. There we go. Chris Knee knocking it out on Knowles 24-7, <laughs> probably while he was in midair because he is up at ACC Media Days. If the, if the background looks a little bit different, look at that posh uh, hotel yeah, room they've got him up wall. in there, that sweet hotel room they've got him in. He's all ready to hear from all types of ACC people tomorrow. I can't, Chris, I... I can't wait for them to sell me how to CW telecasting stuff <laughs> is like earth shattering breaking news I, I need to hear all about neighborhoods and gates and all kinds of fun stuff tomorrow because i mean look it's a tuesday and we're not quite up to the season but we're almost there but anyway we are continuing on we're going to press forward i thought the uh quarterback preview went very well if you want to see written forms of all this stuff brendan is putting them up he's got pretty much every position done we are lagging way behind you can find them on Knowles 24 7 i would I would welcome you to get over there and get signed up if you're not already signed up and go check everything out. Um, there's a lot of big news coming down the pike. So, okay. Tonight, we are going to do a threefer. We have got running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends on the docket. We're going to try to keep this around an hour. People are going to be mad because they're going to want us to talk for three hours, but I'm not sure any of us can handle that. So we're going to get started with running back, and we're going to jump right into it. Obviously, the running back position begins and ends with the name Trey Benson. Uh, the much ballyhooed transfer from last year, a player who everybody was up in arms in when he came in, and by season's end, everybody was up in arms because they were so thrilled with how well his season went. Started a little slow. Um, maybe we can and maybe we can have a conversation about that, and it will lead us into some more on, on Trey Benson. Last year's season started a little slow for him. The the LSU game specifically, I remember thinking to myself, he doesn't look confident. Chris, can you can you recall maybe what his early season was like and then maybe when you saw the light bulb go off for him last year? I forget the specific game at home, but there was a game at home where he started working down the sideline more and he just was finishing runs with more emphasis, and that's sort of what he is. He's a guy who gets ahead of steam, runs north-south, and does a very good job of doing that. And when he's kind of bringing the pain, bringing the contact to people, mm -hmm. that's probably his greatest strength. He's – He's in the 220s these days. I forget his exact yeah. weight on the updated roster, but I know he's in that ballpark. I think early last year for him, some, it was a mix of just live action, having to run behind the offensive line, getting comfortable with the progression of plays, where you're supposed to go, where the hole is going to develop, how you're supposed to do things at the second level. And I think that came with time and carries. But I think also for him, because of the injury and the fact he hadn't had a whole lot of mm -hmm. carries for a couple of years prior to that moment, 
that it was just getting back to being used to it, being confident in his ability and his skill. I think we saw in the back half of last year that he was very, very good, albeit the Oklahoma game was a little bit of a up and down affair and Trayshawn Ward came yeah. and gave him a spark. But in general, in the back half of last year, we had a very good version of Trey Benson. That's why he finished just shy of a thousand rushing last year. And I think he's going to build on that. I think he's a kid that, you know, he's had a very good offseason, done a great job with his body. I think he's wholeheartedly comfortable in the off- offense now. Also, obviously, with the guys that are calling the plays, the guys that he's playing with for a majority of them, he's got a lot of reps with those guys, mm-hmm. a lot of comfort. And given there's going to be some new pieces up front for him on that O-line, I think Jeremiah Byers, Casey Roddick potentially are going to start, maybe even Bless yeah. Harris, who had a limited amount of last year reps. So he's going to have to get a little bit of a feel for those guys. But I think in general, from a scheme standpoint, He's going to be really comfortable and ready to hit the ground running. I think he also understands that he is FSU's number one back. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be interesting to me. I think the biggest storyline in this room is Trayshawn Ward's carries last year in yards. Mm-hmm. What happens to that? Is that a guy stepping up and essentially taking on the exact same role? You know, I think Rodney Hill is a candidate. Lawrence Tofilly's obviously done some stuff here. Kazai Holmes, an unnamed worth mentioning. Or is it going to be Trey Benson's going to get a little bit more of a majority of it and those other guys will kind of be the spot to the guys that relieve him here and there because we know they're going to rotate in that room. They use that room as a stable. Yeah, They're never going to use it as one singular guy. Right. So let me give a little bit of numbers. This is from Brendan's article. If you would like to please go check that out. Uh, he, he, the second half of the season, starting with the Clemson game, he finished with 600. No, this was a seven-game stretch. I apologize. He finished with 662 rushing yards, a 7.04 yards per carry uh, average and six touchdowns. And he was the top rusher last year breaking tackles. He had a missed tackle rate of 0.51, according to Pro Football Focus. So we know what he is. Kev, what are his strengths? What are his weaknesses? Um, And then talk about how he fits into what Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins running game wants to look like. Okay, so uh, I think that I I found a play here that kind of shows his weaknesses. because I, I think we kind of all know his strengths, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more. So this is this is just kind of a variation of an outside zone play. Um, so they're just trying to hit it outside, kind of carry this ball outside. And you can see that early on, there's, there's a lineman that kind of gets knocked back, that kind of gets him off track, and then another lost block downfield kind of forces him to redirect and you kind of just see him having to kind of start and stop a couple of times Mm -hmm. and he can never really get his steam going forward. So this is, this is early. This is kind of what you were talking about AB with Mm -hmm. him struggling in the LSU game, him taking a few games to really kind of get comfortable in this offense. Um, and I, I think Chris was, was right in saying he's a guy that's, I think going to really, you saw when the offensive line won, he was able to feast. When you can get him to a point where he can start moving downfield, get that speed rolling, get his momentum moving forward, he's a bigger back. Then he's able to to really, you know, use his strengths to to the best. But the the teams that were able to kind of shut him down, the LSU's, the Oklahoma's, those were the teams with the better defensive lines that you faced. They're the ones that were able to kind of clog up those lanes, like you were seeing, and kind of force him to bounce outside. And that's where you really saw Trayshawn Ward have to step up and and kind of fill that role. Um, I, I think that if you're, I think against teams where you're not necessarily winning the battle up front, yeah, here here he is uh, on the kickoff return, 
you can see just how his top end speed there allows him to kind of use that momentum and mass to be really hard to take down. So you have to, if you want to stop him, you have to keep him from getting to the top end speed and good teams with good defensive linemen are able to do it. You saw against like Clemson, they were able to kind of be a little creative with, uh, you know, going under center, mm -hmm. which allowed him to kind of get moving forward instead of moving horizontal. Like you have to in the shotgun. Um, here he is just able to kind of run through people in Boston college. But yeah. um, I, I think against better teams, you might need a, a, a one, two punch with somebody. If you're not able to kind of get him the room to start moving forward, because when he can start moving forward, when he can get that three, four yards downfield before he's touched, he's virtually impossible to take down. So, so the running game is interesting. Uh, sorry, Chris. Uh, let me, uh, go, go ahead. Okay. So, their running game is very interesting. They want to be a north-south counter-run team. And I know people think counter, they think he wants to be east-west. But listening to Alex Atkins talk about that quite a bit this offseason through some clinics that he did, it, it's a north-south play for them. That's what they want to do. And then they want to pair that with, with an outside zone type of scheme. So they want to get you moving laterally and hit you with counter. And then when you're trying to stop counter, you're trying to squeeze things, then they want to run outside zone on you. So it fits – what Trey Benson wants to do very well, which is be a north-south player or make a one cut on an outside zone type of run. So he is a really good back for what this offense wants to be. Uh, Chris, I'm interested in what your point was going to be. Go ahead. Well, this is a game where he kind of started seeing it, the BC game with the battering ram and the finishing yeah. of runs. The two things I was going to add from watching a lot of FSC practice, one, you're right about the offense. It's north-south. They don't want wasted movement in the backfield. Mm -hmm. They want, if a play is going to get fizzled out, they want to end at line of scrimmage or going forward. I know that's kind of commonsensical, but they scheme that. That is the goal, is yeah. to get yeah. north-south, get going. The other thing I would add is the most common term you hear in an FSU practice, if you're paying attention to running plays, when Mike Norvell, David Johnson, Yak are in the backfield, and even some others like Chris Thompson, Alex Atkins, for example, who both have a great deal of offensive line experience, good track. You'll hear them mm -hmm. say regularly, good track. And I think something with Trey Benson early last year in the LSU example that Kev showed earlier, he didn't have a good track there. He He's not on the outside cheek of the pulling guard, which I think was Meech on that play. He's a little bit more inside, gets a little deep, basically has a bubble around Meech. That's wasted movement. That's additional movement. When you're playing a very talented defense that can get downhill like an LSU, can win at the point of attack, you, you don't have time for two, three extra steps. It makes yeah. all the difference yeah. in the world. And I think that's something throughout the year you got better at and understanding good tracks. Treshawn Ward was phenomenal as mm -hmm. a curveball in the sense, one, because he did take good tracks, and two, he could make you miss. In very tight spaces, he could make people miss. He could also just evade pressure in very tight spaces yeah. and yeah. make plays happen. I agree. They're going to need a number two, a guy kind of step in that. I'm very interested if Lawrence Tofilly's role increases even more. I've always kind of viewed LT as a gadget guy that they like mm -hmm. for passing attack, but he's also capable as a runner. I've, I've been, you know, very high on Rodney Hill since the minute he walked through the door. All word is that he's having a very good offseason. I'm interested in how quickly he kind of accelerates into that role. I've always thought Rodney Hill was the next version of Treshawn Ward for FSU. Well, let's get into it. So let's talk about Rodney. I think that that's the next place to go because I agree. I think that's RB2 for you right now. Um, I'm curious, Kev, I know we had some clips of him. We were going to shout out no highlights. They get a little shaky, so bear with those. Um, if you are watching, just maybe cut the jumping out a little bit if we if we want to be able to use this stuff in the future. But um, 
it's curious to me. Treshawn Ward was an interesting back and had an interesting style. He he almost glided um, as a runner, and he was so short in stature. He was compact, and I felt like he kind of got in there and got got himself lost, and then squirted out the other side. Very Devonte Freeman like. Um, Rodney, I don't, I don't know if he's as, is as patient as Treshawn. Um, or Treshawn was very patient. What's that, Kev? Or a squirrely, right? That's yeah, kind of, yeah. I think Rodney's a bit more of a punisher. I think Rodney's I got some Trey Benson to him in the sense where he's very quick in the middle, very good at finishing runs, very good at kind of running through arm tackles and keeping those legs pushing downfield. But he does have quick feet, and he can he make does. things happen in very tight spaces. So he's got a little bit of both elements to it. And it's nice. And, you know, he's been working on being a more consistent pass catcher, which is a nice element to add in this mm-hmm. offense because backs are going to be used as receivers going to get flexed out, things of that sort. But he's a cat that he's got a boatload of talent. Like he he's a guy that anybody you speak to in that uh, program on the offensive side of ball, they'll tell you some things about Rodney that he yeah. once in a while in a practice or just here and there, he'll do something where it makes you go, man, like he's got it. He's got some real big time ability. And I know he's a guy that from the moment they recruit him, I think he was a Virginia commitment, if I remember yep. correctly. Yep. They loved him. And he's lived up to what they expect him to be. Now it's just a matter of him going and taking those reps. I mean, Treshawn Ward last year had 95 carries, 628 yards, and seven rushing touchdowns. Got to remember he only played in 10 games while he was at MC right. last year. See, th- I, I think this is the the heart, this clip, these past two clips actually, is the heart of what you're saying about him being more like Treshawn Ward. He has a skill set that Trey Benson doesn't have. Um, so here, if I watch this play, he makes two cuts and gets upfield. And just that, just that kind of short ability to kind of gather himself, make a jump cut, break back upfield. You don't necessarily see that with Trey Benson. He's going to be more likely to kind of try to ride this and then try to use his top end speed to break a big one where Treshawn Ward and uh, you can see it in Rodney Hill is going to have this kind of patience, the agility to kind of make a move and be able to kind of find a little crease. But I do think he's got better top end speed than you saw at at a Treshawn Ward. So that'll be interesting. Yeah. I think the future is really bright for Rodney Hill. Um, Another player that you've mentioned, Chris is Lawrence Tolfili. Mm -hmm. We've seen LTB. We've seen LT in the past. And granted, a lot of times as, as a runner, it's been in garbage time. I can think back to Miami his his freshman year, where he had he broke off some big chunk runs on on counter. Um, but his usage has been more in the passing game uh, over the last, you know, especially last year. And thinking about the year before with the big play against Clemson, um, I'm curious to see because he's got that patience and he's got that wiggle and that juice kind of in the middle of the field that these other guys don't have. I'm curious to see, and I'll, and I'll be very honest, when we did the, the most important players, I didn't rank him, and everybody else did. And I, I got some flack for that. I don't I don't necessarily buy that he's going to have a huge role as a rusher, um, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. I mean, he's, he, he doesn't strike me as a Treshawn Ward. He hasn't shown the ability to finish runs in the middle of the field like you want to be as a north-south offense. But he's bulked up some. He was noticeably bigger this spring. Um, is there juice around him? Is there buzz around him from this offseason? It felt like in the spring they were trying to make him into a more consistent in the backfield rusher, and including the other elements of his game that he's very much mm-hmm. showcased in his time at FSU. The question mark for me and what I deliberated when we did that top 40 con- countdown to a point was 
I'm just not convinced that like he's a better version of a runner than Rodney Hill. Right. And if Rodney Hill is ready, I think he can take those snaps. I don't think LT's role reduces by any stretch. I'm just not convinced it expands either. I think he might sort of be what he's been in his time here, which is perfectly fine. He's an asset. He helps the offense. He can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. If you're going with two backs, he's a great second back in a setting like that. I'm just not convinced that in the sense of replacing Trayshawn Ward, filling that hole, that he's it. I, I think it's more Rodney personally. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Kev, I see you messing with some stuff, fiddling with some stuff there. You pulled some stats up or. Yeah, so I I think to, to Chris's point, I think that that has been a focus to get Lawrence Tofilly to be a runner they can rely on, be someone that they can use in the backfield. Um, I think we, we can all agree that his his best role has been as a receiver out of the backfield. Um, and the the one stat I just wanted to see if this um, was kind of relevant um, between 2021 and 2022, you see that his yards before contact jumps from 1.7 yards to 2.4 yards. So mm-hmm. I think that shows that they were able to get a little bit of that kind of softness. I, I don't know a better way to describe it, but he would dance a lot um, mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And that would lead to them being ineffective runs, especially, you know, if he's not able to find that crease, he wasn't willing to kind of push through and, and get the yard or two and kind of take his loss on a, on a run play, which is something you need to do. Um, and that's something I think he improved in. I think the numbers kind of bear that out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, the question is if he's ever going to actually be that guy. And I, I don't know that he is. I think you almost to Chris's point, I think you use him just enough in the backfield as a runner to be able to throw to him out of the backfield as a passing threat. If that yeah, makes sense, just you don't want him to blocks. come in the game and defense be, Oh, he's a receiver out of the right. backfield. You, you got to keep him honest. Yeah. So Brendan, Brendan broke his uh, running back preview down into some different columns. He listed till in or the, it is now or never column. So it, just a player to watch this year to see what his role becomes. A, a newcomer to the room, Kaziah Holmes. He's been on campus. This will be his second year on campus, correct? Or like yeah, one he got and a half here, years. He, yeah, he, he got, got here just before the beginning of the season last year, and he he had to get himself in better shape, and he's right. done that. And he's a guy that there's been a little bit of you know whispers about doing some things, but again, crowded room. Mm-hmm. The one nice thing about that room, uh, and it's a credit to the backs in that room as well as David Johnson. It's not a selfish room. And right. Those dudes love cheering for one another. And, you know, guys are going to get opportunities throughout the room. CJ Campbell will probably even get some opportunities. Definitely deserves some buses backside to earn it. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, when it comes to crunch time and FSU's got to be good, I think it's Trey Benson followed by 2A and 2B of Rodney Hill and LT. And LT more so because he's kind of been there and experienced and yeah. knows what it's, yeah. is expected of him. Uh, all right. So – we had this conversation with Jordan Travis about how much better and I, this will be as a whole. We had the conversation about Jordan Travis, how much better he can be. And we really tied it to the, the, the guys around him, the talent that's now on this roster around them. Let's give a confidence rating for this running back room. Uh, Brendan had it at a six or an eight out of 10. I apologize. He had, the, he had it a six out of 10 last year. This year he has it an eight out of 10. When I think about this running back room, I have to think about it holistically. Uh, we did a we did a pod 
ooh, a video just after the season, and I was very, very, very bullish about this running back room. And I think it's one of the better ones in the ACC. I know David Hale recently put out some uh, rankings, and I believe he had them rated pretty highly also. I think I got to agree with Brendan. This is an 8 out of 10 for me. The bottom part of this roster, and we didn't talk about Sam Singleton, but I think more so because we're not sure this room's so deep and the talent level at the top is so good. Is he going to, do we feel like he's going to have a role, much of a role this year, or is he a guy that? I think he just has to wait his turn. Um, Maybe they find a way to fit him in doing something else. He's got some good straight ahead speed, and he's a kid that's plenty talented. I just don't think he's going to take anybody's job. Right. Yeah, he's a kid. I could see them kind of working at it like kick return early in his career. You saw it with Trey Benson where that kind of speed and momentum really pans out. I think a lot of his skill set reflects Trey Benson more than anybody else. And so, right. So saying that, I kind of agree with Brendan. I think the top end of this room is really good. But do you do talk? I mean, CJ Campbell's a hard worker, but I don't know what the ceiling is for a player like that. So I, I don't know if you had to rely on CJ Campbell for or Kaziah Holmes for, I don't know, 25 carries a game. Do you feel overly comfortable? I'm not sure I do. So I think 8 out of 10 is a safe place. Chris, if you had to put a confidence rating on the room, where, where are you at? I'm around 8 or 9. Uh, Mike Norvell loves running backs, and they tend to progress well under him, and I expect that for Trey Benson. That room ran, uh, not including quarterback runs, I think it was about 2,300 yards as a unit mm-hmm. last year. I think they're going to be in that ballpark once again. I think Rodney Hill is ready for prime time. Uh, he's yeah. a kid I will bet on, and I believe that he's gonna he's gonna put together. I think he's ready to. I think he's chomping at the bit to do that. In fact, but I think Trey's gonna have a massive year, and I, I think Trey's comfort level through the gate is going to be a difference maker. The other added element that offensive line is gonna be larger, mm-hmm. and I think their ability to get short area pushes at a more high, effective higher rate than they did a year ago is going to benefit that room too because there's going to be less of you got to get the second level and that's where big plays happen. I think there's going to be a lot more smallish, short, decent runs for this offense than maybe we saw a season ago. Kev? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because if I were building, if I were an offensive coordinator on Madden and I could just make my own running back room, (laughs) because of my background, they would probably look nothing like Trey Benson. Um but you, you know, you got to respect game where it's at. The the dude can play football, and I think um, I I I like what Rodney Hill gives you. I think he might have the highest ceiling in the room because um, he does have the patience. He's got the jiggle that Trayshawn Ward has, but he's got a little. You can see it. He's built just like Trey Trey Benson. He's got the power in his legs. I I'm with Chris. I I think he's gonna have a big year. And to be honest, I think CJ Campbell, um, I think I think he's got a lot of Trayshawn Ward in him. I think there's a lot of in practice. He he finds holes. He finds gaps from top to bottom. You're going to be a good blocking team. You're going to be a good running team. That's who Mike Norbell is. And you'd be dumb to bet against it. And I'll give it an eight or a nine. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it a nine. I'll give it a nine because I, I think it's the safest bet on the team. Uh I was an idiot. I'm going to be completely honest. And I'm going to call Brendan an idiot right now also. He didn't list fullbacks on here. We've got to give them a shout out. This is Mike This is Mike Norvell's specialty. This is a position he coaches himself. He doesn't trust anybody else to do it. Mike, I hats off to you for that. 10 out of 10, DJ Lundy. DJ Lundy, Blake Nicholson also. Blake Nicholson was a superstar rusher at his high school. Um, do we think DJ's going to continue that role this year 
maybe Blake steps into that role in the future. Quick, quick thoughts, Chris. I'm curious. I I don't put a whole lot of thought in the fullbacks, but I do. <laughs> again, Mike Norvell loves him a good fullback dive at the goal line. So he does. It's going to exist in some form or fashion. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe we we'll get a wild card like a Braden Fisk, big body out there, even Ooh. Brian Courtney making a return to the offense after he switched to defense here. You are you are speaking my language. I love it. Love the thoughts. All right, let's transition. We're going to keep it moving here because. We don't want to be three hours doing this one. We're going to talk about wide receivers, and this room is just we're going to be here a while. Ridiculous! We are going to be here a while. It is ridiculous the weapons that are in that room now, based on where they were just two years ago. Ron Dugans couldn't sign a player in high school. He lost a commitment from from a player at the last minute. The player ended up going to Louisville. Um, it, it, Everybody wanted his head. We were certainly critical. I think everybody was critical of what was going on there, and it was fair at the time. The transformation of that room since has been absolutely astonishing. Obviously, if we're going to discuss this room, it's going to there's going to be some conversation about the transfer portal, and they dipped into it again this year. I'm going to throw a curveball because a player that should have been here a couple of years ago, I want to talk about him first, and I want to talk about Destin Fat Pazon. Is Hill. it Payson or do you go back to Hill? He's Hill. He's Destin. He's Hill. Hill. I'm He's sorry, Hill. Destin. I apologize, Destin. Destin so Hill. His birthday edit pops up I don't know, <laughs> two, three days ago. And I had a moment where I'm like, this is a reality. This is this actually is real happening. thing. Uh, it's it's wild. Um, yeah, not to bog down with going back no. on the story. But Destin Hill, he showed up in shape. Uh, returns on what he's done in summer have been very positive. I think he definitely can contribute on punt returns out of the gate. I think that's a spot where as you have to fill that role that Micah Pittman vacated. He's mm-hmm. a guy that possibly will do it. Obviously, I think the one-two punch at the receiver position is going to be Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. Yep. And I, I even think Kentron's probably the next guy that should probably be talked about when you're talking about the pecking order of that room. But I think Destin's going to find the role. That's the wildest damn story I've ever heard in my life, if I'm being completely honest. And I've followed college football. I turned 40 this year. I've been following college football since I was 10 or 11. I can't ever remember anything like this one. And there's obviously some crazy ones out there, but he's a special talent. He showed up in shape. Brent, I know Brendan has put up on the on the message boards and different uh, Sunday tea that he's put out. Again, sign up for Knowles 24-7 if you want to see a lot of that stuff. He is running rampant right now with the tea coming out of the program before the season gets here. But he has heard that Dustin Hills had a great offseason. Uh, guys have been wowed by him. Um so I just wanted to get that one out of the way because I know I think that's going to be a popular uh, storyline once we get this once we get to practices. But again, Chris is right. This starts and stops with Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman. Let's talk Johnny first. Where where did that come from last year? I mean, this was a guy that people were talking about. He wasn't potentially even shouldn't even have been a take for Florida State. I mean, there was all kinds of wild stuff said and written about him, but he was a big body. They obviously believed in him. Did they think he could do that last year? I mean, was I, that did that catch them off guard? I think they started to believe at the end of spring and certainly in camp, and it's a credit to how they practice. They yeah. they will stick with a guy. They will continue to ride a guy and, you know, hey, man, like 
you are this build, you are this talent, you should be able to do this. You should be mm-hmm. winning that back corner of the end zone. You should be winning in the phone booth. These are things that you should be good at. And they're very adamant when they're working with guys. And if a guy is willing to be a sponge and make the effort, I think you see the returns. And I think with Johnny, that was part of it. And I think the other thing is that offense so desperately needed that vertical threat that yeah. he was the guy that clearly stepped into that last year for them. You know, obviously your boy Pokey could do some things <laughs> vertically for them with his speed, but Johnny was the, if you got to dial it up, you know, you can dial it up to him and he's got yeah. a, at worst a 50, 50 chance of winning it. But I think his play and obviously the way he capped the season with a great performance against OU as he did. Yeah. I think it speaks to the process they go through with guys and really they do a phenomenal job of building guys up. And think about how many guys we can talk about on this team over the last two years where that's true, where they have kind of come out of nowhere or they've made a drastic jump. I mean, hell, Jared Verse is going to be in that category. Yep. Jared Verse was very good at Albany, but he was a much better player last year. And I think he's going to be worlds better this year because, again, he's taken the coaching, worked really hard with him, absorbed it, and he's wanted to get better. And Johnny falls in that category from an offensive standpoint. So just some numbers. Johnny's a 6'7", 240-pound wide receiver. He's a freak show. I mean, you, you think of the likes of you know, Calvin Johnson, the Randy Mosses of the world. These guys are just height, speed, height, weight, speed type, you know, just ridiculous athletes. Johnny doesn't have the elite speed that those guys had, but his body control, his physicality, the height, the speed, the wingspan, the way he's able to separate with nuance, um, it, it's really it's really incredible what he's become. He uh, led the Power Five last year with 22 receptions of 20-plus yards. Um, he was obviously a major weapon in the red zone for Florida State. Kev, talk some Johnny. I know you love his game. I think the, I think the main thing people are going to talk about with him at all times is his drop rate. He does put the easy ones on the ground from time to time. But I think he makes up with it with how good he is making the tough catch. Kev, talk about him. Yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about tough catch makers in college football, I don't think there's a better one in the country. Yeah, Frankly, so. a six foot seven guy, two forty, who can high point a football is is unguardable. It, it truly is. Like there, there's not an NFL corner that would be able to consistently win that matchup. You nailed it with like kind of his catch rate. Is he going to be able to catch the easy ones? You saw games mm-hmm. like NC State where he dropped three or four, yeah. and that really kind of hamstrung your offense because you need him. You needed him at the time, especially to, to have a breakout game in order to put up numbers against good defenses. Um, I, I think he's been improving in that. When when he was here in the spring, he was his first season, he was hardly catching anything. Um, and you, you've seen the progression. He's gotten better and better. I think he'll take another step here. But I also think his life's going to be a lot easier because, you know, of who's on the other side of the football. Yeah, the way teams are going to be able to bracket him this year versus last year is going to be drastically different. Yeah, go ahead, Kev. One-on-one against Johnny Wilson, not only is he going to high point a ball, but you also now have a 180-pound cornerback who has to take down a 240-pound man. And that's why so many Mm -hmm. of his catches were 20 plus yards because he would take a 15 yard completion and take it to the house because he's such a large dude. He's just harder to take down. Yeah. And we talked about it a little bit in the quarterback preview as we got derailed, just talking about the offense in general. Um, 
we're talking about catch rate, catch rates, and 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 whatnot, and what he does as a player with the ball coming to him. When he's blocking, he's a difference maker. He uh, I mean, he blocks like a tight end out there, out in open in the open field, and that. When we talk, so I have these conversations about the run game. Whenever you ha- listen to coaches discuss big plays and chunk plays in the run game, they're going to tell you the touchdowns come from the wide receivers and what they're able to do out on the edges. And it's so true. His ability to go out there and just eliminate DBs from the run game is is incredible. Obviously, a 6'7", 240-pound player, you expect that. But it's really neat to see him go out and do that and be so effective at it. He doesn't draw, knock on wood. He doesn't draw a lot of holding penalties. He just goes out there and just absolutely dominates and collapses the side of the field, which allows him to, which opens up such big running lanes and allows him to create so many chunk runs. Um, I think we could talk about that with this entire room. I'd be curious to see, and we'll talk about it maybe a little bit more as we go along here. We, we discussed his life being easier. Who the hell are you doubling? We're going to talk about Keon Coleman now. Johnny saw so much bracket coverage last year. It was incredible, and he still made play after play after play after play. That's why you saw Pokey on some of those posts um, coming wide open. Kev, I don't know if while we're having this conversation, maybe while Chris is talking, if you can find the amount of times that maybe um, Johnny was doubled. I don't know if that's something you can find. You're muted. I can look for it. Um, Okay. No guarantee. If you can can find that, but – Chris, can can you talk about why Keon Coleman was such a big get? What kind of the thought process is about him? What he what he's going to bring to this offense as we let a little tape play in the background? I mean, he's a mix of speed and size. He's a six foot three plus guy with long arms, big hands. He gets down the field. He wins in tight spaces. He gets off the ground extremely well. Wins it at its highest point. Mm-hmm. You're seeing a couple of those jump ball wins at the. I mean, I'm not trying to take a shot at Sparty, but like, let's be honest, <laughs> that passing attack isn't in comparison to what he's coming into at Florida no, State yeah. with the ability of the quarterback, the ability of the players around him. It's different. It's going to allow him to be what he is. He's an explosive cat. He always was mm-hmm. in high school. He was a basketball football kid, and he can play basketball at the D1 level. He actually did at Michigan State briefly early in his career there. That's the level of athlete you're adding into this offense. He's also a dude who is single-minded. He is here basically as a six, seven month rental type of player who intends to go pro. He knows to do that. He's got to produce. So like yeah. he, he feels super motivated and not in a bad way. I don't have an issue with a guy walking in the door saying he's here for six or seven months. Right. If he goes out there and does it. And I, I would bet on Keon Coleman feeling comfortable about doing that. The beautiful thing about this offense is if they didn't get Keon Coleman, I felt like Kentron was ready to step up. Now I don't yeah. think he would have been a, all the time, number two kind of guy, you would have had to alleviate that with some of the other pieces in the room. Right. But Kentron had a really good spring. I thought Kentron's consistency in the spring was the most impressive thing with him. In his career, he's had great moments, but he's not always been the most consistent. I felt like he turned that corner during those 15 practices. So I feel very good about what they have after that. Then, you know, you're having to replace your slot action with Micah Pittman. I think Micah was about 330 last year, if I recall correctly, as mm-hmm. far as yardage produced. Yep. Also a great, phenomenal blocker. That is an area where I think Michael will be missed because he was ferocious when it came to just making contact with dudes and taking yeah. them out of plays yeah. and being rude about it. But you got Winston Wright, who's finally healthy, excitable player, very talented. Destin Hill that we tapped in on earlier. Ja'Kai Douglas is another one. 
Vandravius Jacobs, another freshman that they're mixing into that room. I don't know how much he plays, but I think he can play. He had a <laughs> phenomenal spring. He mm-hmm. came out like a man on fire in the first half of the spring. And then Hakeem Williams is another guy mixed into that room who has all the potential in the world. I don't know how early it happens for Hakeem, how much they need it to be this coming year. But I think for Hakeem, he's the type that you're hoping you're getting game reps, get him some game film as he continues getting better and better college football shape, learns the college offense, and kind of gets acclimated. And you're allowed to do it with a little bit of a slow burn with him, and it sets him up for success down the road. I don't think he's a guy that, truthfully, they need a whole lot from in year one because they have Johnny and Keon, and then we're going to talk about those tight ends with Jaheim Bell, who's a massive piece. And they've got plenty of capable slots led by Winston Wright, Ja'Kai Douglas, and then I think Dre Jacobs can fit into that role as well. Yeah, I turn Winston Wright's highlights on because I think people forget just how talented he was at West Virginia. Um, def- describe his game in the spring. Was he back? Was he close to back? Was he 50% back? I mean, he was close. Where- he was close to back. He, he's gotten much bulkier than I recall him being the minute like he it, walked man. into campus. I think some of that's obviously going through the rehab process he had to go through after mm-hmm. a severe car accident. Um, the biggest thing about Winston is, is he still going to have that ability to stick the foot in the ground, change direction, immediately go, which is his yeah. greatest asset when you watch him on film. I think it will be there. I'm interested how long it takes for him to get back, kind of like we talked about with Trey Benson out of the gate last year. He just hadn't played a lot of football for a good while because of you know, the circumstances. I'm interested in how long for Winston it takes him to shake off that rust yeah. and feel like his old self. But uh, yeah, I think it's still there. And I think he's going to be perfectly fine. And I know he's super excited about actually getting back out there. It was very, very difficult for him to not be able to play. He is not a guy that enjoyed sitting and watching and having to wait to come back. But he also well, understood if he came back last year, he was kind of wasting time because he just wasn't himself. But it, it, you talked about Keon Coleman. His motivation last year was also money year. I mean, he, yeah. he was coming to Florida State with the, with the mindset, I'm going to shine. Um, he believed in what Mike Norvell and the offense was going to be. He believed in Jordan Travis. He thought he was yeah. going to get an opportunity to come shine and then go pro. And um, now he's got that opportunity this year. Um, so he and Keon Coleman are very much alike in that regard. I'm curious, a quick big picture topic here. As much as they want to run the football, I'm curious how many targets there are going to be to go around in the passing game this season. We know the plays are going to be down some while we talked about in the offense or the quarterback preview that we thought they were maybe going to push the tempo a little bit. Just with some of the rule changes of the clock uh, and the stoppages, the plays are going to come down a little bit. Are there going to be enough touches to go around for all these guys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so with those that really should be in the discussion. You, you need some patience from some of the young bucks. Uh, yeah. Hakeem Williams, Vandravius Jacobs, mm-hmm. they're going to have to a slight degree wait their turns. Yeah, um, They can help you here and there, but I, I don't expect it to be an offense where you're just able to spread it a ton of wealth. But I expect them to throw at a high rate. I don't think their balance of offense is going to change drastically in the sense mm-hmm. of how much they run versus how much they pass and the success rates of each side. I think the bigger thing for them is they're just going to be more efficient as an offense. And I think you're going to see a little bit of an increase in total yardage, despite probably a little bit fewer plays because of clock situation with the rule changes. But I don't think it's going to be some great drastic variation that changes. Yeah. Kev, did you find anything? Yeah, they don't list uh, double team. Um, okay. That's not, not really a coverage. But, okay. uh, yeah, he uh, – He's elite at 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 winning downfield routes. I, I to go to your question about um, 
the touches. I think that's the question of the day. If I say, how how does this offense fail? Where is the failure point of this offense? I either say the offensive line losing against a really elite defensive line, which I think is still on the table, and we'll talk about that more when we get to offensive line, or I say, you know, there's just too many mouths to feed and you get some sort of, I mean, there's a, a question of how you manage that culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure they've thought of that and I'm sure they've dealt with similar things. I mean, they had a wealth of talent in their last year at Memphis. That was yeah. um, an embarrassment of riches for the AAC. So it's, it's a similar ball game, but I mean, you've got, you've got several people here that are, that are trying to make it their money year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that works. Winning uh, usually helps. Yeah, <laughs> I think winning helps, but I also think it's important to note that you, you, we're never going to go into a season. Well, we we can sit here and have this conversation that 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 we think they're going to be in games where they're going to have opportunities to play reserve players during the season. Um, if everything goes right, they stay healthy. You know, yada yada yada. Um, the touches are going to come then for some of these guys that, you know, like a Hakeem, like a Vandravius, they're going to a find opportunities for them. If they feel like there's matchups that they can take advantage of in any game. If, if, if Mike Norvell and Alex Atkins sit down and say, Hakeem Williams versus LSU's number three cornerback is a matchup that we think we could take advantage of. They're going to put his ass out there and play him. That's just who they are. They're going to find matchups and they're going to play whoever they feel like gives them a matchup especially if you're working your tail off. Um, but those guys' time is going to come in the second half of of potentially, uh, you know, I don't know, Boston College again this year or Syracuse or, you know, whatever, however the schedule lays out. Um, I, I don't have the damn thing memorized, but those are that's when their opportunities are going to come. And that's when those guys are going to have their chances to, uh, to make their hay and make their marks. And then, obviously, they understand – a Keon, a Johnny, a Winston, those guys are going to be departing the program after this year. Then their opportunities to step up into that forefront are there. Brendan texted me earlier and said, please be sure to give Kentron some love. I think that there was, I don't know if it was in the T today or he's got, it's going to be coming out in the T to come um, about how good of an offseason Kentron has had. He's not. <sighs> I'm curious to see what the what his snap rate's going to be this year. Just be, from the standpoint of he, Johnny, and Keon do so much of the same thing. Now, obviously, there's room for all those guys to be on the field. Maybe not at the same time, but for at least two of them to be on the field at the same time. I'm curious to see what their snap rates are going to look like for them. Kentron probably would have been a, a 50 a 50 snap guy had Keon not showed up. Do you think that falls down in the twenties? What are, what are your guys thoughts? Do you think he's a 20, a 20, 20, 25 snap guy now? Um, You're saying per game. Yeah. Yeah. Per game. I, I don't know. I, I think, I think they like Kentron a heck of a lot. I don't think the getting of Keon Coleman reduced their, their feelings about where Kentron was actually right. in the spring. They were really happy with Kentron in the spring. I think he still plays a significant role. But again, how often are they going to go with sets that have more than two right. or three wide receivers? How are you setting that up? Are you going to go with three big receivers at the same time and basically scratch a slot off the play? 
it'll be interesting, but I, I don't think they will shy away from trying to get Kentron out there. And the wildest thing is we've had this whole conversation for what, 18, 19 minutes. Yeah. We've not yeah. mentioned Darian Williamson once. Yeah, you're right. And, and I know the fan <laughs> club presidents that I work with would be very disappointed if <laughs> he did because he is, he, he's a dark horse. He's a wild card guy. He's been really yeah. good when he's been healthy, but that's the asterisk when healthy. Yeah. So I don't know how Darian Williamson, I don't know how all the guys in this room get an opportunity. I think the best thing for guys in this room is make the most of the opportunities that you get. If it is limited in a game, if it is only 10, 15 snaps, if you're only thrown at three, four times, make the most of it. That, that's yeah. sort of got to be the mantra mantra of that room beyond the top two, three guys who will be obviously leaned upon heavily. Yeah, I, I think that I, I kind of, this is what I think of when I think of how Mike Norvell is going to handle all this talent. Um, I go back to 2019 Memphis and how did he handle it? And this is a guy that we'll probably talk about later in a, in a comparison, but this is Antonio Gibson's stat line in 2019 at Memphis. And you can see some games, his receiving yards, you know, 100 plus receiving yards. And then other games, yep, yeah, it's highlighted for some reason. Other games, he's got 130 rushing yards. Mm-hmm. And then there's some games where he's got, you know, you know, here he has zero rushing yards, you know, 28 receiving yards. He didn't do much against Tulane. So they probably just didn't feel like he was the best matchup against Tulane, despite the fact that he's a future NFL guy. That's an incredible athlete and incredible player, but in a, in an offense that's so loaded with talent, you have to, yeah, like you said, take it when you get it, but there's, we're probably going to see some games that are Johnny Wilson games. He goes off for 150 yards. Some games that are Keon Coleman games, he goes off for 150 yards and you see Johnny Wilson's numbers go down that game. So it's like, um, uh, there's a way to manage it, and because Mike Norvell is so matchup focused, it's it's not like he's gonna just lean on Johnny Wilson or lean on Keon Coleman, and no one else is gonna get fed. Because ultimately, the better players that are out there, the the better matchups you'll get if you aren't that player, and he's gonna go with the best matchup no matter what. Yeah, to use a basketballism, it's sometimes like the idea of, oh, the best player only scored X amount of points, but how much should he take away from the defense mm-hmm. that allowed his teammates to do more? Right. I think there's a degree of that in this offense. Yeah, and I think people are going to are going to overreact to a lot of things, but one thing they're going to overreact to is if Keon Coleman goes out in the first game and has one catch for 25 yards, but Johnny goes for five, 250, and three touchdowns, they're going to say, oh, Keon's not going to be happy, you know, even if they win. Oh, Keon's not going to be happy if had one catch for five yards. How are they going to manage this, blah, blah, blah. I think it's important to note that production doesn't always mean you're – it's not always correlated to draft stock. Um, he, he's still going to be putting on a show. He's got opportunities to be out there blocking. He's got opportunities to be able to do th- doing things that are going to help the team. But it is going to be important for, for Mike and Ron and Alex to manage that room because there's a – there's a lot of talent in there, and in today's age, with the transfer portal and whatnot, I think you do need to be cognizant and aware of all those things. Yeah, it's good to move forward. That's a good Go ahead, point. Yeah. Scouts will sit and watch entire games of a guy. Yes, they will. Yep. And they're obviously looking for the highlight play. I'll take uh, Daniel Jeremiah talking about Jared Burks, for example. I think he mm-hmm. said he watched three entire games in every sack he recorded. But when they're watching the entirety of a game, they want to see the rep to rep to rep. Yep. How do you bring it? What do you do? 
what are you asked to do on that play and did you succeed in what you were asked to do on that play, whether it's running decoy, blocking something up, blocking on a quick screen, whatever the heck it is. How did you do your job? So, yes, right. there's that. People always fall in love with, oh, he's a thousand yard receiver, he's a thousand yard rusher, he's a three thousand yard passer, so on and so forth. And that matters. And people get drafted off of stats. Let's not mm-hmm. act like they don't. But there's a hell of a lot of ways to impress those that actually watch football that go well beyond just stats. Yeah, I agree. I think that's a great point. We're going to finish this with another confidence rating. One player we didn't talk about a whole lot was Ja'Kai Douglas. Again, I think he's a lot like Lawrence Tolfield, a, a specialist. Um, a guy you're going to try to get matched up, one, uh, isolated one-on-one with maybe with a with a safety or linebacker, but classic wheel route guy that they love to throw the ball to. Uh, we're not going slot to slot fade. On, yeah, the, the slot fade. I think I just think they've got so many more options now. I'm curious to see where some of those guys kind of fit into the uh, room as we go along here. So confidence rating, Kevin. I'm going to start with you. We started with Chris last time. Brendan had it a. An eight out of ten. Again, ten being the the elite, one being among the worst nationally. I feel like eight out of ten is kind of low. Kev, what are your thoughts? Holding up ten, baby. Oh, I'm a nine guy. I think it's pretty tough to find a one-two combination that's much better than what FSU is going to throw out there. And the depth of the room is very, very good. And I think the returning guys, the Kai Douglases, the Ken mm-hmm. Trons of the world, Darian, when healthy, so on and so forth with a familiarity with Jordan Travis in the offense. I just think it's set up to have a great deal of success. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Kev. The reason I give it a 10 out of 10 is I can sit here and on paper and say, I think Ohio State has a better receiving core. I think that yeah. Washington has a better receiving core. They put up X numbers. They have X whatever. But top to bottom, not only how these guys run routes, but how they fit the offense and how they block and how they do all of the little things. Mm-hmm. I don't see that out of Ohio state's wide receivers. And does that necessarily lend one-to-one to how they're going to output in college, what their numbers going to look like, how they're going to be drafted? No, but like you have guys that are matchup nightmares all over the field. You have six foot four, six foot five, six foot six guys plus some real speedy guys on the inside. You have a depth of room that would make it really hard for me to want to trade a room, even with some of these elite programs. Yeah. And that makes it like, man, I I think, I think this is the perfect wide receiver room for Mike Norvell's offense. Frankly, I don't know if I could draw one up much better than this. Yeah. Um, No, knowing he wants to be a big ISO passing game they, they want to isolate guys and find matchups would i take marvis Har- marvin harrison jr tomorrow yeah absolutely obviously. he's the best wide receiver in the country he maybe is the best wide receiver in the country the, the last three years um that dude's a freak I, I i'm with you kev i think this is a 10 just because of how good johnny is and you've got to think that there's some potential for progress with that catch rate in his money year um, Keon Coleman coming in very motivated. We know how freakishly athletic that dude is and what they're able to do in the ISO game with him. If you were out there running the air raid, I don't think it works. But with what they want to do with this ISO passing game and getting these guys one-on-ones and matchups and mismatches, you've got two of the best guys and most explosive guys in the country 
lining up out wide for you that you can't double cover. Um, and if, go and ahead. you have someone else that we're not talking about that essentially adds to this room. Jaheim Bell. Yeah, we're going to get to him. I'm, <laughs> I was literally getting ready to say the same thing. We're going to get to him. That's a good transition. So I think Brendan, Brendan whipped down a little bit with an 8 An out of eight? 10 there. Yeah, that's not surprising. Who did he rank higher? Uh, QB 10? He gave QB 10. You know he how he QB loves 10. his Jordan. Yeah, he does. That's... He does. <laughs> well, let's, let's get into it. The tight end room for me is interesting. When you think about tight ends, you think on the ball, right next to the offensive tackle, blocking, receiving threat. Yeah, so... A good way to paint the picture is last year, FSU's <laughs> top two tight ends, Cam McDonald, 21-312 and one touchdown. Mm-hmm. Biscuit, Marquiston Douglas, 14-190 and two touchdowns. Obviously better later in the year. The Oklahoma game had the big catch in that one. Those are their two tight ends. That's the production. And I feel like Biscuit's a guy that's continually progressed in his program under Chris Thompson, done a really good job. Mm-hmm. But they went and got Jaheim Bell, and it massively upgrades that room. The, yeah. the Johnny Wilson upgrade of a season ago for the receiver room, that's what Jaheim Bell is for the tight end. Yeah, it is. Interesting enough, Biscuit was listed. He must have had a couple biscuits this all season. Was listed at 280 today on the updated roster. That surprised me a little bit. I know he's always he, been big. I mean, he was he near 300 pounds a couple of years ago, and he shaved a lot of weight to stay at the position. I, I think they're comfortable with his size and his athleticism. Okay. He's never going to be a foot race winner kind of guy no, no. he's more of a come off the block get open make the play kind of guy from a tight end perspective that's where jaheem is so nice you know jaheem's a six foot three 239 pound wide receiver tight end running back all wrapped into one and they're going to use him in a multitude of ways he's yeah. going to be used vertically he's going to be used underneath he's going to be used to open up the middle he's going to be used in the backfield in some form or fashion i believe so uh, he just he changes that room so much, and we saw it in the spring with some of the stuff they were dabbling mm-hmm. with doing with him. Uh, he he's gonna do it, and he he's kind of like Keon Coleman. He's very uh, tunnel vision focused on the one thing at the end of that tunnel, which is the NFL, and wanting to put it together and do it at a high rate. And I think FSU understands that they have a great opportunity here to take the tight end room and elevate it long term. If Jaheim Bell goes out and produces at the rate he's capable of and does things in a variety of ways, recruiting that room is not going to be any kind of task. I mean, obviously, yeah. Landon Thomas is a really, really good one in 24 class, but I'm saying long-term, it's the kind mm-hmm. of guy that you recruit off of for several years. You know, things that FSU has done with D-linemen and cornerbacks in the past where, hey, come play at FSU, we had these kind of great right. players at this position that we showcased. Jaheim gives them that opportunity. And Morlock, Kyle Morlock should be mentioned in the conversation too. I, I think he's probably going into the preseason. I'd probably put him behind Biscuit. I just think Biscuit's more reliable in the sense of understanding this offense, what's expected of him. But Morlock brings some things to the table too as more of a true traditional vertical tight end, big body guy who can you know do the more traditional type of tight end stuff. But Jaheim yeah. Bell, Swiss Army knife ability yeah. is what's going to make him uniquely special. I'm going to yeah, shut I, up and let you talk now. <laughs> no, you're doing. Listen, you're doing great. You're doing a great job of laying it out there for the people. They, this is what they want to hear. Um, it's interesting. Oh, stinking cats in the background. Kev, Kev loves here. this ad. <laughs> it's interesting, and, and we have the Jaheim Bell highlights playing in the background. I, I apologize for those listening on the pod. We did try to add a little bit more video in as we 
you know, have a few more guys that people don't know about uh, joining the roster. So my first question with Jaheim Bell, if they are going to utilize him in that three-back role, which is the offset, like the old classic H-back you would think about, um, one thing that jumped out at me right away in the spring, blocking. Yeah, uh, this is a team that wants to run the football. We know that they and they want to run counter, and they want to want to run counter Y or counter three, which is pulling that second that uh, H back or the tight end uh, as a wrapper. Also, if he can't block or isn't as good as not that Cam McDonald was a great blocker last year, but he was or Preston Daniel, who's played that role some too. Not that those guys are elite blockers, but if you can't block to that even that keep that caliber how much does that alter how they want to use him and his effectiveness overall i think you could probably still do enough with him uh in the slot Uh, i'm kind of talking myself through some points here but does that alter his usage if he's not able to block the way that they want him to block What, what are your thoughts on that kev i thought it was so cheeky that they came out in the spring game and only used him as like an inline tight end like Like we we know we know uh, <laughs> like that's 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 a that was it was a joke it was an insider joke for anybody that cares about Jaheim Bell playing football, um, yeah I I do think it limits how they're going to use them I don't think they're going to really try to use them too much in that role I think you'll probably see him more often be put in that kind of little nub wide receiver role where he's yeah. kind of detached where you can kind of get him in a position where he's going to be blocking it you know, a corner or so, instead of, you know, having to, to go one-on-one against maybe a linebacker or a defensive mm-hmm. end, which is who would have to block in a kick out for, for a counter. I'm not saying they don't use him that way. I just think, I mean, you see him, he's a big dude, incredibly athletic. The same idea with Johnny Wilson, just being so hard to take down as a, a 240 pound guy moving full speed. He's going to be a hard dude to take down. And he was in the sec last year. He will be this year. Yeah. I, I think that he's just a dude. He's 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 gonna be to me the closest comparison you'll see is one Antonio Gibson who who I talked about earlier, but like someone who's been how how they're gonna try to use him, I think it's gonna be more like um Micah Pittman than anybody. Mm-hmm. They're gonna try to get him the ball in creative ways in the backfield, potentially use him as a running back occasionally, like they did with Micah Pittman use them to kind of block in, in certain situations, screens, other things, and then just get him to the ball in the middle of the field where he, he can use a size and speed to really take advantage of guys. And so um, I, I don't think of him as a tight end more than I think of him as a big slot slash hybrid. When you, when they're going to be sitting down game playing week to week, they're going to put the formations up there that they feel like, this is how game planning goes. You, you watch film, you put the formations up there that you feel like are going to stress a defense and are going to give you mismatches. They're going to put those formations up there and they're going to say, okay, we're going to put based on the alignment and whatnot and the personnel of the defense, we're going to put Jaheim Bell here this week, or we're going to put Jaheim Bell there that this week. They're, he's not going to have a role or a position. He's not a tight end. He's not a running back. He's not a wide receiver. He's not a slot. He's not any of those things. He's a playmaker. They're going to go week to week, and they're going to find a spot to put him 
and they're going to find a player for the defense that can't cover him and can't run with him, and then they're just going to turn him loose. And that's that's I got to believe that that's the game plan. That's what was they sold him on when they got him to come in here. Um, I know he was frustrated with uh, with, with his role at South Carolina. That, that's been talked about some. He's frustrated with his role. He had basically became the feature running back there. That's not what he wants to be. But I can't imagine that he doesn't realize that he's only selling himself by touching the ball in those kinds of roles. I mean, you look at what Debo Samuel has become in the NFL. There's a lot of value for that type of player at the at the next level. Got to think that they're going to do some of that stuff with him here too. Keeping it moving, Kyle Morlock, Chris, you touched on him. Maybe going to start the year behind Biscuit. Brendan had some encouraging things to say about him in uh, Sunday T yesterday, posted on Knowles 24-7. Um, he is the most classic tight end they've got on this roster, correct? Yeah. yeah he's, the, he's the guy that they could plug him in at the three-back. They could plug him in at the traditional Y. He can run vertical routes. He's going to be able to run some of the ISO stuff, but also be a capable blocker. And then Biscuit's role is really – Biscuit became, interesting enough, became a pretty capable – he's got the foot speed to get out and run some of those shorter routes and run some of the, you know, some of your arrows and some of your out, your out routes. And um, I don't think the route tree is going to be super expansive for him. <laughs> That's great. Well, I made that while you're talking. You talked too little about Biscuit. I was hoping uh, to get more time. I, I like Biscuit, and I'm going to let you talk about him next. Um, obviously, the most famous play for him last year was the trick play in Oklahoma, against Oklahoma, where he was the uh, he, he was at, as an offensive tackle. Uh, they didn't ID him, and then he ran the vertical route. Kev, talk to me about Biscuit. Clearly, you love him. Not as much as I do, but I'm going to let you talk about him. That's true. I, ju- I just made this graphic. If you're listening to this, um, it's Biscuit but his whole midsection is actually a biscuit. Um, so, you know, maybe I'll post it in the, in the comments uh, on Knowles 247. So make sure you're subscribed. Um, Great promo right now. <laughs> yeah. Biscuit. Yeah. I think he's, he's, they did the, the weigh-ins for, for this year and he's gained weight. And I think that's telling to what, what they see in mm-hmm. him. I think it also is complimentary. I mean, at worst you have a guy a pulling guard that moves as better than any pulling guard has ever moved. So like, (laughs) you know, he's, I think he can be an elite part of your counter run game and that's Mm -hmm. where they want to live. You know, you do other things like slip them out to keep teams honest, but he's going to be the linchpin to your, to your run game. In my opinion, Um, they want to run with tight ends. They want to be able to do funny things like, pull an inline tight end which if you're not super familiar with running counter doesn't sound that crazy but that's freaking hard to do uh and he's shown to be able to do it um i i think morlock's not quite there yet but morlock's ceiling is so high i mean he's a six foot six guy that moves well um i i think there needs to be a little bit yeah I, i don't know if he needs to gain weight necessarily um but usually tight ends like him are, are a little bit bigger, a little bit boxier, but he moves well enough to probably get away with his size. Um, but yeah, I, I don't project Morlock to really be the guy that like you lean on at any point in the season. But I think he's a guy that, you know, when you're when you're playing teams that you're boat racing, 
you'll see these glimpses of just like what he can be in the future. Yeah, it's worth remembering he's a redshirt junior, so he's a two-year mm-hmm. guy for them most likely. Um, other guys in that room, Jackson West hasn't been very healthy in his career, needs to be healthy to see if he can do anything or if he's going to get lost in the fold. Jarrell Powers is someone that the coaching staff has always talked up and seems to like, and his body's been one in a great deal of transition as he went from a big high school receiver to a true tight end. It's interesting to see if he uh, – he's not going to get a lot of ABs this year, a lot of at-bats, but right. it will be interesting to see if he gets some, what he can do with them, and how they want to use them. Because they always speak – he is a guy that – I swear Mike Norvell name drops him more out of the blue than a whole lot of guys I can think of. Mike does a good job of kind of talking about the roster and anybody that's making an effort to do something. But for whatever reason, Powers is one of those names that every time last year that we got talking about tight ends, I felt like he made sure he went out of his way to mention, like, oh, mm-hmm. he's doing well working towards something. Yeah. If, if Powers and Morlock grow to what they're supposed to be, next year you're looking at a tight end room that has a, a really, really high ceiling. Like, Powers has shown... I mean, every, everything you say about Morlock, you can almost say word for word about Powers just in how well they move, how how well they handle their their size. And, man, that, that can be a pretty nasty tight end room. I'm just going to give some of the listed weights for him as you talked about Morlock. Morlock actually has lost three pounds from his pre-summer weighs down to 239 pounds. Biscuits up to 285. That's a big boy. You're going to lose a little bit of that weight. Uh he is a big boy. He looks like a biscuit running around out there, He's too. He's 10 pounds from our center. I I love that kid. So I'm, I'm here for it. Jaheim Bell up 239. Maybe that will help. Not that he's ever small. Jaheim Bell is absolutely rocked up. But yeah. helps helps in his role to become a better blocker. Um, that would be big time. Kyle Morlock at 239. Jarrell Powers at 236. Jackson West at 244. I was a big fan, Chris. I know you were also Jackson West. This is the last one we're going to talk about before we do comments rating. Big fan of Jackson West when he was coming out of high school. I thought he had all the tools and all the potential to kind of burst on the scene. It hasn't been there for him. He's been hurt. If he's healthy, is this a guy or have the injuries just really derailed him completely? That the talent's still there, he could find a role. So he is a mean dude on the football field. <laughs> and like at the tight end position, you want that sometimes. You yeah. want a guy who's willing to mix it up with guys that are bigger than him and it's just downright mean. And Jackson's got that element to him. When he got here, he was a pretty good athlete. He could get down the field too. The issue for him is he's had a very bad, severe ankle injury that required a good bit of attention. I'm just interested in how he comes back from it. I'm just not sure. Yeah. And that room's gotten a lot better. That room used to be a lot of collection of pieces where you use different guys to do different things. Mm-hmm. They're getting better at getting individual guys that can do a multitude of things. Yeah. When that starts happening, those who are more of the old style, which I would say Jackson kind of fits into, are going to fall by the wayside for guys in the newer style of where that room is going. Yeah. So, I'm I'm curious how the bottom of that bottom of that room works itself out this yeah. year. Preston um, Daniels and I got guys still in that room and he's super reliable. The staff loves him. Great special teams guy. They use him here and there on offense. They're willing to throw it to him. They know he will block. He's one of those like value pieces. It's kind of like we talked about Jakai Douglas and Lawrence Tofilly where like you yeah. know what you're getting from him even if it yep. doesn't get a whole lot better. Preston Daniel falls in that conversation too. Yeah. I think that's a good point. 
Everybody's going to ask, is he a walk-on? Is, is what's what's his scholarship status? I don't care. It is. Don't count it on men's money. Yeah, yeah, we're not we're not <laughs> counting Mike Norvell's scholarships. It, it just isn't that deep. Confidence rating for this room. <laughs> Brendan actually didn't get. I, I think he included it in the wide receiver room, and maybe that's mm-hmm. why he was a little bit lower. Um, but we're going to separate it out, knowing that Landon Thomas is in, is committed and. You know, maybe you're gonna, you're probably gonna get him here um, come December. I think this room's a, a an eight for me um, personally, with, with a, a big time five star that's in your class and coming in next year. But just even if we're just talking about this year, Jaheim Bell is such a weapon, um, one that we haven't seen Mike Norvell really have in his offenses at all uh, during his time as as a play caller. And then a Morlock, who I think the ceiling's really high. It's six, you know, again a six-seven type player down in the red zone. And I think Biscuit's a really valuable blocker. I'm bullish on this room, maybe just because I love Biscuit that much. So I'm going to give it an eight. <laughs> Pictures back up of the Biscuit, Chris. What what are your thoughts overall on this room? What's your confidence in it? I'm going with seven, and the sole reason I'm going probably a little lower than I feel like I even should is because I need to know that Jaheim Bell is going to be the best version of himself, and I need to see that actually go out there and happen, and that means blocking at a high level and doing yeah. everything that's asked of him. Because the thing that I know at receiver is that like Johnny Wilson and Keon Coleman naturally are going to push each other, mm-hmm. and that there's very reliable pieces behind guys to help elevate them. With Jaheim, I don't know that there's that next guy that really pushes him. It is sort of Jaheim's job because he is the most talented dude in the room. I need to know that he has the want to and the consistency to always do what he's capable of doing. But the room is drastically better, and it's improved so much year over year over the last two years. So I'm confident in it. I just need Jaheim to be the best version of himself. If he's that, they will exceed my confidence. Okay. Kev? Yeah, I I think I'm going to go 7-2, and I think most of it just because – I don't feel like you have a guy. So I wish I had talked about this more, but I, I talk about this a lot in terms of how Mike Norvell evaluates players. It seems like he looks for one of two things. He looks for you either to be a specialist or you to be an all round guy. Um, I think in terms of like, you know, if, I, if I'm just looking at them purely as tight ends, Jaheim Bell is a skill tight end. Mm-hmm. And Biscuit is a, you know, power blocking tight end. And I don't feel like you have a guy that's an all round tight end. You know, Jaheim Bell's all round skill player, but not an all round tight end. Right. And because of that, it makes me, you know, I think in an ideal world, you have, you know, you have a, you know, uh, a guy that's an elite power guy and a guy that's an elite Mm -hmm. speed guy. And you, and then one guy that can do both, right? You have that Rodney Hill that can do both. I don't see that in the tight end room. It makes me a little bit skeptical about like about the top end, but I feel like the rest of the offense is just so good that it, you know, this room is significantly better than it was last year. And I didn't really feel like you were handicapped that much by your tight end room last year. You were at times, but now I think it's a cherry on top that the tight end room has these players that are that are specialists, even if it kind of kind of changes my ranking of the room. Yeah. I think that's fair. I would argue that Kyle Morlock is the best of both worlds. 
I think if he if he when he's ready when he's ready yeah that he's the that he's the total that he's the complete package the player who you're able to line up in line or or as your H back and do everything you need him to do there as a blocker but also be a vertical threat as a receiver we've seen that from him Uh, he had a couple he, he flashed a couple times in the spring had some drops I think nerves were probably probably an issue for him. Um, and obviously, you know, Brendan noted it in the T today that they threw a lot on him. They put a lot on his plate and really challenged him mentally. And they wanted to see what he was able, capable of handling. Um, they know that now and they understand where he's at. And, and he obviously, he's had more time in the playbook and more time on the campus and around the program. Um, I think he has the potential to be that complete package. They've just got to get him there and he's got to get himself there. Um, I, I think he made good points. I think that seven, eight, six, seven, eight range is probably pretty fair for this room because there are some question marks. If if Jaheim Bell and Kyle Morlock aren't ready and they can't block, do we feel like pretty confidently? Oh no, maybe not pretty confidently, but do we feel like they just say screw it, we're going to play a lot more eleven or we'll play twenty-one personnel? Because we don't need to play games with with all this twelve personnel. These guys can't go out there and block the way we want them to. Or are they gonna? Or are they gonna they, be what they've been all along, which is a twelve personnel team? They love twelve. I, I don't see them shying yeah. away from it. I think it's more yeah. a a matter of a degree of. There's a lot of technique and coaching that goes into blocking. I'm not trying to yeah. short sell it, nope. but a degree of blocking is want to. Mm-hmm. And I think if you want to go to the NFL and you want to play a lot and you want to produce stats, you will want yeah. to block. So right, it's not an overriding concern. I I didn't think Jaheim was god awful at it in spring. I think he he certainly wasn't great at it. It was very much in the middle. I I think he'll be fine. I think he will understand the parameters of relationship and what's being asked of him. I think the staff is extremely good at being very direct about things and coaching you up, but also making the point of like you got to do it if you want to play and stuff. They don't play favorites. But they also know Jaheim Bell is the most talented dude they got in that room, and they want to have him on the field. It's why they went and got him. Yeah. I also I think a part of that is I think they knew that that's his weakness. Yeah. And that's why you saw him play so much inline tight end. They said, this is what you need to work on. Mm-hmm. This is the thing keeping you like, we know you can catch the ball. We know you can run downfield. We know you can, you know, find a hole and hit it. Can you block? Can you be that all round tight end? You need to be in order to be the best player you can be. And I think, I think they threw him in the fire a little bit this spring. Yeah, my, my my biggest concern leaving the spring game was blocking from the slot position in the run game and blocking from the anybody not named Biscuit in the run game from the tight end position. So I'm curious to see. Thank goodness you guys get to be out of practice every single day when, when summer camp gets here or when fall camp gets here and leading into the season. So we're going to get a lot of those answers as we build up to that LSU game. This has been the running back slash wide receiver slash tight end preview. Chris needs at ACC media days. He's just, I can't, I can't say what he has said in the past on the message boards, but the man is slaying because that's what he does. Kevin little as always bringing great insight. We're going to be out of here for this one. We'll be back with the O-line preview soon enough. Get over to Knowles 24 seven. Check out all the incredible content because Brendan's tea, he's just dropping tea everywhere. Charles Lester's uh, commitment is right around the corner. KJ Bolden Intel is all over the place. It's a hot and wild place. Um, broke the story of the linebacker uh, on Monday, 
Tuesday, whatever day it is. We're out of here. Thank you for joining us. An hour and 15 minutes. How the hell did we fit that in? This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. We expected someone else. So what exactly is the show about? Hmm, I don't know. It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball. And baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. We have some of the best voices come on and explain what matters or what makes an upset, like Ryan does, <laughs> 9 over 8. No, that's not an upset. No, yeah, it is, Bob. And if you're lucky, I might just tell you about my search for discounted sleep pants or my worries about what my dog just ate. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.